Are you an attorney that wants to help seniors have peace of mind and not go broke paying for the care that they need? But you also want to make better money than you're making right now. This is Elder Law in a Box. You'll become proficient helpers of the aging. Now your host, certified elder law attorney and past president of the National Elder Law Foundation. This is Elder Law in a Box. And this is Todd Watley. Hey there, welcome to Elder Law in a Box Coaching. My name is Todd Watley and I'm trying to learn some stuff. So today I want to talk about jointly owned assets. In our last episode, episode number three, I went through what is countable, what is not countable, and I do my best to try to keep these down under 15 minutes. I just want it to be something quick that you can go to, listen to, watch on YouTube, just real quick, get the basics and then move on. And so I'd, you know, to cover this topic um, would have thrown this way over 15 minutes. And so I want to talk real quick about jointly owned assets. That is one of the most common things that you'll see is the client comes in, they have their kids' names on their bank accounts, on their houses, on just all kinds of things. And it's like, well, so how is Medicaid going to look at it? The general rule for Medicaid is that if the applicant's name is on it, it's theirs, okay? And it's typically all theirs, okay? So the assumption is, particularly on bank accounts, okay? Let's talk about bank accounts first. So if you have a jointly owned bank account, Medicaid's presumption is it is all the applicants. You have to prove otherwise if it is not. Sometimes it's difficult to prove that. Well, if you can't prove it, it's going to be theirs. You just deal with it, okay? The most common things I've seen is for some reason, older ladies uh, will um, be on their grown single son's bank accounts. Don't know why that fact pattern pops up all the time, but a older son, not married, puts mom's name on their bank account for two reasons. Number one, if something were to happen to him, this would go to her and she can sign checks, okay? problem is when she goes into the nursing home and she needs to apply for Medicaid, they're going to see this bank account with her name on it and say, ah, it's all hers. But if you need to prove otherwise, and typically if it's his checking account, you can show that the deposits into that account came from his employer. And therefore, she doesn't work at Tyson Jiggin the son does. And so therefore, all of these deposits from his employer are clearly his and not hers. And you can go in and show this pattern over however long that the caseworker wants you to and get that presumption overruled to say this is not her bank account. Her name is there strictly for convenience. And that's the term that you need to use when you're trying to prove to Medicaid that this is not hers. She is simply there for convenience. All right. Now, that applies to bank accounts, different things like that. Now, I will say in the very rare circumstance, that if it truly is jointly owned between two people, and if the applicant themselves cannot cash in this bank account, it is a non-countable asset. 
I've been doing this for 22 plus years now, and I've I've seen one bank account that could not be cashed in by one owner. I don't know what it was. It was with a brokerage account, and it was some bank account that we got in writing from the company that said, Miss Jones cannot cash this in without the approval of the co-owner. And I was like, I've never seen this before, but we'll submit it. And it worked, okay? With that letter, we were able to prove that, but you will rarely see that. I have, in thousands of cases, that's the one time that I've seen that. So generally, when you see their name on it, presume that it's theirs, unless you can prove otherwise. Real estate. Real estate, obviously, if their name's on it, it's theirs. Paid for it or not, it's theirs. The their proportional value of that is going to be counted as a countable asset unless it is their home. Okay. Now we can talk hours literally on real estate and homes and things. And I will do quite a few of these events on the home on real estate, because that's many times a very large portion of the estate of a person applying for Medicaid. And therefore we need to deal with it. But I can't cover all of that in one episode. So let's just talk about the jointly owned um, real estate, mom and son. If it is two people, she is deemed to own half of it. Now, if it's her home, it's a non-countable asset. But if it is something else, if it is non-home real estate, you're going to have to deal with the fact that it is typically hers. Now, Again, the disclaimer here is I am talking in general terms, federal law, not specific state. And so what I'm going to say is in the state that I work in primarily, here's the rule. There is a distinction that if two non-married people in my state can own property, either joint owners with rights of survivorship or tenants in common. And... For some reason, my state DHS views those differently in regards to Medicaid qualification. If the applicant is on real estate as a joint owner with rights of survivorship, it is deemed to be a non-countable asset. If the deed does not say joint owners with rights of survivorship, it is deemed to be tenants in common. Um, Otherwise, so unless the very specific language is there to make it joint owners with rights of survivorship, it's going to be a countable asset. Her portion of that property as tenants in common is can be transferred herself without the permission of the other. When it is joint owners with rights of survivorship, you need the permission of the other owner to sell. And therefore, since the applicant themselves cannot convert it to cash, it is deemed to be a non-countable asset. Now, that's in my state. I would highly recommend that you look into your state and your state policy and see what they say, because that's a huge deal. What if someone comes into my office with some other land that is on tenants in common with their sibling or just anyone else, we can then do a deed. If, if everyone agrees, we can do a deed that converts it from tenants in common to joint owners with rights of survivorship. And we've just taken a countable asset and flipped it into a non-countable asset. 
pretty cool and can save, you know, literally thousands, if not tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars just by doing a simple deed to make it into a non-countable asset, all right? Um, personal property, generally, if there is a title, if their name is on it, it's going to be presumed to be theirs in the proportion of the owners. Two owners, 50%, three owners, one-third, okay? Um, the clever thing you can do there is, you know, typically that's got to be out of their name because personal property other than a vehicle is countable. You can sell it generally based on the county assessed value or get a commercial um, seller of that product to issue a letter saying this is the value. And you can get it pretty low sometimes if there's particularly some some situations with the car. We one time had a car, you know, is on the person's assessment and it was obviously not the car they were driving because there was literally a tree grown through it. It had been in this field for so long and they had never taken it off of their county assessment. They were paying taxes on this car that had been there for years and years and years and weeds had grown up through it and there was literally a tree growing up through the middle of this car. We got a picture of it, showed it to DHS and said, obviously, this car has no value. So there are ways you can get the value down, particularly since it is a countable asset. Remember, the vehicle with the most equity value is a non-countable asset. All other vehicles are counted, okay? Um, I just want to say real quick, particularly like rental property, if a couple owns rental property, joint owners, it's obviously a countable asset, but under some business exemptions, you can sometimes get that to be counted just as income. Check if check with your state and see if your state follows the name on the check rule. And I'll cover this in much more detail when we discuss income next episode. But just understand a very easy way to fix this, that the income of the spouse not in the nursing home is theirs, okay? They get to keep their income. So if they're getting rental income from a rental property and the check is currently coming in both names, simply deed the property to the spouse, that's a free transfer, and have the renter write the check just in the name of the community spouse, and therefore they get to keep all of that income if you have a name on the check rule. And so annuities, different things like that, we'll go through that in detail, talking about the name on the check rule. If your state follows that, that opens up some really interesting concepts toward preserving assets. All right. So this is Jointly Owned Assets. Thanks for listening. If you need more um, help, if you have questions about this, you can always email me at todd at elderlawinabox.com. I encourage you to go to my website and look around. If if you want to get going in elder law quickly, if you want me to help you get going, grow your practice, and help with clients or pretty much whatever that you need to become a very proficient elder law attorney, I do coaching and would love to work with you. And the details are at elderlawinabox.com website. All right. Thank you very much. 
You've been listening to Elder Law in a Box, helping you help seniors have peace of mind and not go broke paying for the care that they need. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. But it doesn't stop here. If you want to learn more about letting Todd be your elder law coach, find him at www.elderlawinabox.com and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, all at Elder Law in a Box. Thanks for listening. Until next time.